And now it's part four of the Arrested Development After Show. We're talking small characters, running gags, and our director, Troy Miller. So, stay tuned. You're tuned in to AfterBuzz TV, the ESPN of TV talk. Now, let the buzz Hit it. That's William Hung and his hung jury, Phil. All right. Heavily featured on Arrested Development, which we are talking about today here on AfterBuzz TV, guys. Of course, if you've joined in already, you know that we've covered parts one through three of Arrested Development, which is based on all eight episodes of part one of season five of Arrested Development. See if you can wrap your mind around that. Um, But... Just so you guys know, we're going to be talking about all of the episodes of the first part of Season 5 that was released in May. Um, we've already talked about other characters of the show, including all of the Bluths, all of the Funkes. Um So today we're covering some of the smaller characters. Before we do that, though, guys, I should introduce myself. My name is Jeff. I'm not alone. I'm joined by the incomparable Phil Svitek. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. There are no small parts, only small actors. Only small actors, as we said. It's funny, we uh, had a bit of the yawns before we went live, I'm going to be honest. And Phil... What? The last thing Phil said before we went on was, we're just breezing right through nap time, aren't we? We are! Which made me very happy. Buster is one of my favorites on this show. But we're not talking about Buster. As I mentioned before we dive into our coverage, guys, we're talking about smaller characters today. Of course, the rest of development's full of wonderful cameos. I also have some of my favorite running gags from this season because... As you know, Arrested Development is filled with them, and I have some other stuff that I'm excited to talk about. We're going to talk about, uh, Troy Miller directed every episode of this half of the season, at least, and so we're going to highlight him for you because he is a guy that has been doing a lot. He's been doing a lot. He's a busy guy, and he's kind of a comedy juggernaut, especially in terms of the world of television direction. So let's get into it right now. Phil... Let's talk about some of these smaller characters. Looking at this list, we have a list of these smaller characters that we saw from this season. Do any jump out to you as kind of highlights from season five? From season five, I mean, the the newer ones, uh, Lottie Dottie Da, I think is just funny. Although her role is less than uh, Bob Blah Blah. Yes. Uh, You know, she was more of a device. Um, And it's good to get a nice mix of the old characters and the new characters. Mm -hmm. uh, Barry Zuckercorn. He's he's always just a funny guy. Let's start with Barry. Maybe we do um, some older characters and then start with the new ones. Sure. And Henry Winkler on um, Arrested Development as Barry Zuckercorn feels like a staple of the show. Do you feel like he was well used this season? Not as much. It seems the legal troubles aren't as heavily intertwined into the plot anymore mm-hmm. and so he's just used a little bit more sporadically whereas in the past i mean you know basically every episode he was there and he had a major part to play yes he might have been busy shooting barry i don't know if you got to watch season one of barry i did not Very good. but you guys should check out the after show check out the after show check out the actual show if you haven't seen it um lots and lots of emmy nominations for barry on hbo so definitely check that out i actually think henry winkler check me on this jules our producer in the booth is going to check me on this but i think Barry Winkler himself is Emmy-nominated. Barry Winkler is not nominated because Barry Winkler is not a person. Oh, I just made it up. Henry Winkler playing the acting coach on Barry, who's great. Okay, other returning characters, of course, Judy Greer is Kitty. Always hilarious to me. Love Judy Greer. What do you think? She's fantastic, and, uh, you know, she's used very deliberately. I mean, it's kind of the same joke we've always gotten, hair up, hair down. Except what makes this funny (laughs) now is that... Job is a closeted gay, and 
obviously him being gay, it's funny of itself because he, he was the most alpha male ever apart from uh, George Sr. Correct. But now where he's always had that dynamic, now he's just kind of placating to it because he's stalling rather than being disgusted by her appearance. <laughs> it does kind of change the... It kind of retroactively changes all of those scenes with Kitty in the past, right? Because I always sort of had an issue with this because Judy Greer is not unattractive. And Job treated her like it was... He couldn't even... Yeah, you but know. they did a wonderful job with with her and, and messing with her appearance, right. too. I mean, the, there were some crazy eyes. Definitely some crazy eyes. That was what they were playing into. But the idea, oh, our wonderful producer is showing us that he is... Uh, daytime any Award uh, for Outstanding Performance. None of these are Barry, though, so it must not be... Unless that list is not the most updated. But that's okay. Yeah, I, I might be wrong. But Barry still got a lot of nominations, even if Henry Winkler didn't get any love. Um, with, I'm looking at Henry Winkler. I'm confused, guys. Yeah, that's all right. No, no worries. Um, but let's back to back to Judy Greer. I think if you look at those scenes in light in context of Joe being gay, though, it sort of changes them, which is a funny way to think about it. It does. It, it absolutely does. And you know what? What I also appreciate is that it elevates. They, they've continued to use Kitty Sanchez quite well. Uh, the fact that she works for Ron Howard in and of itself, like she. She definitely has that trait where she wants to be some, uh, the man's right hand. Yes. And with now she's getting to do that in a probably more legitimate venture. Right. I think I, if I had to pick a highlight scene from this season, it would have to be Job and Kitty in the spaceship. Mm-hmm. Hilarious. Yes, indeed. Um, so let's go ahead and talk about... Well, there's a natural segue to Tony Wonder. Yeah, let's talk Tony Wonder. Speaking of Job's love life, Ben Stiller is wonderful on this show. And I, I feel like we haven't seen as much Ben Stiller lately. Great to have him in Arrested Development. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. And for what it's worth, as comedic and somewhat juvenile it can be at times, there's when you really boil it down, there's a heart between Tony Wonder and Job. Yes. And you, you even though like it... To us, it came out of left field. They, you, you understand that they do have affection for each other. Mm-hmm. The way that final magic trick was written with all of the sort of self-referential, is this a gay joke or is this a magic joke? That extended scene in the closets I thought was pretty, pretty sharp. Definitely sharp. And, uh, you know, I appreciated Tony Wonder trying to get Job to come out of the closet. <laughs> Literally and figuratively, right? Well, yes. You know, he can't be a Christian magician if he's a gay Christian magician. <laughs> Certainly not. Um, Steve Holt. Steve Holt! For those just listening to the podcast and not watching in studio, I did, in fact, lift up my arms. Like Steve Holt. Like Steve Holt. Hilarious. He, hilarious indeed, except when you look at it, I, I feel bad for the guy. He is the he is the stereotypical jock who was at the peak of his let's say career slash life during high school and then post post high school went on to get a crap job and got fat yeah and these are always kind of jokes like this are funny but they do kind of teeter on the uncomfortable because whenever you make any physical appearance jokes with actors of course you're talking about the character quote unquote but you're also sort of talking about the person so this was hilarious but i do think uh, Justin Grant Wade, who plays Steve Holt, was very game to really play along with a lot of these jokes. Yeah. 
I think so. Uh, and I th- thought they found a good storyline with him. I mean, the biggest part of it, no one recognizes him because he didn't let himself go. <laughs> I mean, the fact that he spends the entire ride to Mexico and like, you know, it took them so long to, to piece together that that was in fact Steve Holt. <laughs> and obviously other characters come in and out as well, wondering, wait, who are you essentially? Super funny stuff. It was great. Um, who else we got? I mean... In terms of like the well, Stan Sitwell. Stan Sitwell has a big storyline, more so than even perhaps past seasons. Yeah, I would say like in terms of minor characters, Stan Sitwell may have been the most generously used here. Yeah, as maybe his love interest. This was I like Ed Begley Jr. a lot. I might have a bias because I've we've met him. A, I've met him a couple times. He's been at the studio, but he uh, is also a very game actor. I like what he gave us this season. Yeah, he was a lot of fun and, uh, you know, somewhat borders, obviously, on the on it inappropriate, but yes. he doesn't know that. So here's a question. Do you think, do you buy into the fact that Stan Sitwell would actually take maybe as an old woman? Yes. Do you think that's realistic? Uh, I, I think so. I mean, he's... I, I, I think he likes the idea that he loved Lucille, right? We, right. We've talked about this one um, a little bit in terms of that storyline with when we talked about maybe. But Stan Sitwell has always had an affection towards Lucille, too. And I, I think it's less about maybe's appearance, more so about just this idea <laughs> that, oh, wow, she has a sister. And, you know, although she's quote unquote old, she looks younger. Right. Well, and the thing with the rest of development is like, does realism even matter? Like, I, I do feel like sometimes this show will prioritize an amazing joke or a very um, comically referential disguise or something like that for the sake of comedy above realism. It's kind of, it's such a farcical show. It almost is like a stage show in some ways. Yeah. Like, almost like classic Shakespeare. Like, you don't, it's not necessarily whether or not you believe it, it's whether or not it's happening in the world of the show. Mm-hmm. So I I buy it with Stan Sitwell falling in love with maybe wearing an old woman suit. Certainly more believable than uh, than George Michael with his big suit. Yeah. So. <laughs> yes. Okay. Maria Bamford is back as Debris Bordeaux. Underused in my opinion, but I love Maria Bamford. So I don't know how you felt. I listen. It's not nothing against the actress, but the character it's herself. I just I I, I didn't love. That whole storyline with the Fantastic Four and the drug use and, right. you know, just wasn't my favorite. And so, through no fault of her own, I'm glad they sidelined her. Fair totally. enough. Just from a character standpoint. Correct. Uh, who else do we got? Let's see. Oh, we've talked a little bit about it, but Joe, or Tobias's new son, Kyle Mooney's Murphy Brown. Yes. Yeah, so now we're into the new characters. Murphy yes. Brown. I mean, out of left field, like the at least Steve Holt when he was introduced came sort of steadily, and we understood who he was, and then slowly dropped hints of like, I don't have kids that I know of. <laughs> so, the kind of writing was on the wall. Whereas this, just oh, he has a biological son. Which can you picture? How does a never nude have a biological son? Well, how do they have maybe? That's still unclear, too. Well, maybe might be a test tube baby. Maybe. Right. Nothing is confirmed. I feel like with maybe, the sex part can be explained away. But 
to to ask the question of how does Tobias have a biological child? I would love to know. It's an answer I don't think we'll ever get. I wouldn't be surprised if somehow we got the answer, though. Because the writers are so committed to Tobias's never nude mm-hmm. I would think that they at least have considered this. Yes, but remember, he's he's gone nude before, and then he went back to cut-off jeans. I guess you're right. It, it must have been in that season of his life yes. that Murphy Brown was conceived. Um, Dermot Mulroney, I like quite a bit. And... I liked him as Dusty, the hippie beach guy who Lucille has his eye on. What did you think? Yeah, yeah I, I, it was a great play. We, we talked about it when we talked about Lucille and also George Sr., how this is like the driving force that George Sr. You know, needs to become a man. And so, of course, having like Dusty, like he's, the fact that he was so game and all these wonderful cameos, everyone just kind of played into it. And it's great that they have such a love for the show and just going it all in. Yes. I did forget one character who's a returner. And I'm just going to, I'm not going to say his name, but this is a trivia question both for Phil and our listeners. Can you guess this character based on the following? Ah! Gene Parmesan. Gene Parmesan. Was that a good Lucille that I just did? Sure. Gene ah! Parmesan. Ah! <laughs> Sure. Sorry for our podcast listeners. Great to have Gene Parmesan back. Yes, it is. I mean, first off, we love Parmesan. <laughs> and then we love like, Gene. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, much like Barry Zuckercorn, uh, he's, well, actually, I'll take that back. He's a little bit more effective at his job a than little Barry. Bit marginally. <laughs> so, you know, he's, he's been serving the family well. Okay, I feel like I've hit most of the majors. Uh, some of these others are just one-joke characters. I mean, I thought Joni Beard was funny as an idea for mm-hmm. Job to have his own beard. Having the Howards, we've talked about the Howards already, so I don't want to be super redundant, but having them around, nice, maybe a little too much, a little too much Howard action this season. Yeah, it, got, it just gets a little weird when it becomes so meta, self-referential, and... right. Yeah. You're not watching a show anymore. You're watching a series of witty I'm, jokes. I'm watching a show about a show about a show about itself. Right. And then at a certain point, it's like, also, I could be making hot chocolate or something. So Or Parmesan. Or Parmesan. There it is. Okay. Let's talk about some of these running gags. I thought this show was very funny. It is funny and continues to be funny in the way it handles Michael's wife's death. Mm-hmm. Um, one of these jokes I liked in particular happened early on was michael tells someone i've seen one person die he's referencing the death of the postman in season four that was a big plot but of course michael's wife is dead Mm -hmm. so it's an example of how we continue to forget (laughs) about michael's wife how it happened how she died etc super super funny oh anus tart was great it's a continuation of of course tobias's inability to smell to spell Pardon me. I mean, a lot of these jokes, we got (laughs) to, when we're seeing Rebel Wilson or Rebel Allie in her movie, it's a very, very serious dramatic movie, but we get a, you can say goodbye to these line framed in a dramatic way. Got a huge laugh from me. Oh, that was a good one. Obviously called back to Kitty. Mm -hmm. Uh, So so that was good. Uh, A lot of, you know, what what still works is it doesn't always work with whether TV shows or movies, but when they call back to some of the earlier stuff, like the Star Wars thing, mm-hmm. you know, we've seen that be a running gag. And now that George Michael is like, that's how, that's what he's doing. He's teaching kids how to be 
lightsaber masters, right. Jedi masters, essentially. I, th- I think that's hilarious. And then the fact that that's what him and Michael use as a means of combat in the hallway is hilarious. Super good. Do you almost feel like the show... Two questions about this. One, do you feel like it sort of creates this interesting time capsule effect where you're like, whoa, this show is like 13, 14 years old. Because you think of Star Wars Kid, that was like the first viral video. That was like Break.com, um, E-Bombs World, remember that? Like, yeah. I feel like that's what I think of. And it just it creates this interesting nostalgia for me to see that again in a super interesting way. Yeah, I mean, I, I think obviously time has progressed even in the show because now they're post-college and whatnot. Um, so you got to find the right balance of how to keep it to the timeline of the show while keeping it grounded in today's day and age um and sometimes it's done well with that sometimes it hasn't right i also wondered if um the ron howard of it all sort of played into the star wars component of the show because he just directed the most recent one uh i don't think they took advantage of that i I kind of wondered if they would or if they should have but it might have been too late it might have been too late i also I, I wouldn't want them to necessarily because then it's just like th- now you're bringing another reference it that's not much. within the realm of Arrested Development. Yeah. When you contain the show to itself, that's when it's funniest. Fair enough. That's a good point. So if it gets too pop culture the show sort of loses its... Yeah, like, you know, I it started to grasp bras with season three, but some of the jokes even like, go to Burger King because we need you to. <laughs> yeah. That, that, that to me, it's about the show. Yes. That's a good point. And, you know, that's when, like I said, season three, things start to unravel, but uh, it's unfortunate. And, yeah. And then we got to the esoteric, if you will. Yes. Um, I would love to talk about a very funny reversal where maybe pitches George Michael for a kiss to freak out the family. That's mm-hmm. a pilot reference. Because in the pilot, George Michael propositions maybe. No. Maybe propositions George Michael. They do it, and then eventually that becomes the running thing. He likes it so much that he's like, maybe we should kiss again. Why? Oh, because oh, it'd be right. funny. Right, 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 right. You know, to, to, to fool them. Just get, I mean, go fish, go fish. Go fish, you're right. So initially, maybe propositions it, it happens, and then George Michael wants it to happen again, but at that point, it's weird. We get called back to that again in this season, which I thought was pretty smart. Um, I mentioned we came in with Mock Trial with Jay Reinhold. Importantly, there's a point in the season in which Tobias is portraying George Michael. He wakes up with a Mock Trial with Jay Reinhold shirt. Uh-huh. Pretty funny. That was funny indeed. Imp- impressive attention to detail. There's so... Oh, the last one I thought was pretty funny was um, <laughs> Michael asks someone hopping into his car if they need a hop on, uh-huh. which is a stair car reference. Yes, it is. The stair car is such an essential part of the show. And Beautiful. We thought, and uh, we, we had the Milford Academy marching band. Uh, too bad Bar- Buster didn't partake in it. but uh, <laughs> Barely seen and never heard. That yes. might have been the biggest laugh for me this season, actually, was Milford Academy marching band. I, I, it was funny, but it just, at that point, it just took it way too oddly literal. <laughs> and it's like, okay. I, the, the whole fu- point of it was that they, he, they took kind of like a phrase... And a, and a spirit slash mantra, and then Buster applied it because he's Buster applied it in the most literal sense. Right. But I don't like not everyone would do it to that extent. Fair enough. Um, okay. Any other running gags? We have a whole list, and of course, you can always find some of these online. But 
I don't want to just be, you know, reading off jokes to you guys. I just wanted to sort of pick some of our favorites. So, I mean, more Phil that you were really excited about. Uh, I, I appreciated most of them. Um, some of them, like the ones that work th- the best are the ones that are shortest. Yeah. The scuba diving jokes and things like that. I thought took too much setup time. Mm-hmm. And when you have to do that, I was like, yeah, okay. But yeah, I agree. They should be one-offs. They should be quick punches. Yeah. Because again, if you get sort of, pardon my French, but too mired up your own backside, <laughs> the show loses itself. I think it gets lost in there. <laughs> yes. So in the, in the anus tart. So um, I agree. Quick one-offs are best with these running gags. Hopefully we'll see some more in the second half of season five. Indeed. All right. So we only had one director for this whole season of television, which sometimes happens with TV, but isn't necessarily common. I think especially comedies, network comedies specifically, which I know this blurs the line, but they'll usually bring in two or three epi- two or three directors per season, sometimes more, because television unique to movies, it's really the writer that's the lifeblood through the show, and the director is sort of the one who's bringing specific taste. Well, they're also putting it out on a weekly basis, so a director doesn't always have time to shoot then edit right. each episode. So you need multiple ones to be doing it, it kind of throughout. Uh, this, you know, you can kind of shoot all at once and mm-hmm. edit all at once. But interestingly, even most television directors will talk about how the job of a TV director is, is different from the job of a film director. It is true. It I, is true. I think it's... In, I've the always, auteur. Yeah, the auteur. I've, I've always noticed that when critics talk about the author of movies, they'll usually talk about the director. Like... Um, People say Steven, um, Ready Player One, as an example, is Steven Spielberg's movie, even though he didn't write it. But I think whenever we talk about TV, the writer is the author of the show. We always talk about Mitchell Hurwitz, you know? So that's just an interesting distinction. But regardless of that, Troy Miller directed all eight of these, so I'd love to sort of talk about who he is. He's a pretty important voice in the world of, alt- of alt-comedy. He's a 15 Emmy, 15-time Emmy-nominated director. He's won twice. Um, he interestingly is known for his work, not only on TV, but awards shows, which I think is really interesting. So for both the Emmys and the Oscars, he's directed the shorts that we're seeing at the beginning of them. Yeah. And I think that's a fun way to kind of cut your teeth, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, who, because at that point you're just getting to take something so popular and parody it essentially. So who would want to do that? And especially when it's for a lot of it's for MTV movie awards, which obviously is an award show and it's great to win. However, it's it's a little bit more tongue-in-cheek rather than like the Oscars, although he's done plenty of Oscars as well. Right. What's super interesting is it looks like he directed the first season of The Real World. Yeah, I mean, he, he goes back uh, quite a bit. Jack Frost, the smaller movie. Oh, yeah, Jack he, Frost. He did Jack Frost. Uh, a little lesser movie that people don't necessarily love, but I actually find it hilarious, Dumb and Dumber-er, when Harry met Lloyd. Yeah. Uh, so, he's... And believe it or not, like, a lot of it comes from also directing stand-up comedy. Yes. So... Um, let's talk about some of these stand-ups. I love Natasha Leggero. He, she, he just directed her, her most recent special. Brian Regan, one of my favorites. Yeah, clearly he is a juggernaut in this world. Jim Gaffigan. Some of, Yeah, all of these guys are guys he, I love. He even did a Robin Williams back in the 80s. Wow. Don Rickles. John Oliver. Man, yeah, clearly this guy's a juggernaut in comedy. But I do find it super interesting that he was involved with the first season of The Real World. Because that feels so tonally different. You know, especially for such a revolutionary show. Yes, 
but you can see how that has influenced, like, anytime he directs this now, you, you can see how it influenced him to make Arrested Development. You know what? It is true. I think the dynamics, the real world is an ensemble show. And you could argue that it's, at its core, structurally, it's a show about a family. Yeah. And, and you know, you don't do it like a traditional sitcom where you have multi-cameras. Like, you're, you're shooting kind of very single cam and mm-hmm. almost reality style, like, shoot it, get it, go. Uh, it has that type of feel. Yeah, you could even argue that Arrested Development kind of looks like the real world in the way it's shot. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, you're right. Like, it's got that shaky cam. It looks like a documentary. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Well, that's Troy Miller. I mean, what a what an interesting person to profile because he's had such a behind-the-scenes handprint on so much of how we consume comedy today. So, Yeah, and he's been in the business since, since the early 80s. So that's he's approaching... Almost 40 years. Wow. Well, Troy Miller, you did a good job this season. Well directed. Okay, with that, is it time to get into predictions, Phil? I believe it is. All right, let's get into some predictions. And now, you're after Buzz TV predictions. Let's start with you, Phil. What do you predict for the second half of this season? Well, that's a good question. And for those of you wondering why we are doing predictions, because there is a second half of the season. Correct. There's 16 episodes of season five, uh, and we have not yet gotten those. So it's interesting how they split it up, right? We, we end on this cliffhanger where Michael finds out the truth. So I think if you deduce it down to any sort of storyline, we, we have to get Buster out of jail, and we have to figure out what the hell happened to Lucille, too. Mm-hmm. So as far as predicting anything, those would be the two definites that kind of have to happen now, the way they in which they happen. I I, I can't even begin to guess. Right. Not with this show. Yeah. How we get there is even less clear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I predict we're going to see more development in the sexual life of Job Bluth. Job, I guess Bluth is built into his name. Um, I predict... I predict we're going to get some more clarity with... George Michael and maybe, but I predict I predict more clarity, but also more muddiness with the two of them relationship wise. Yeah, and you know, hopefully, I I, I don't know if this will fully happen, but uh, I, hopefully, the heart of the show, like there's a there's a character that becomes centralized, and they're the heart of the show. Yeah, we need that. Uh, I, I you know I think Lindsay's going to come back eventually. Mm-hmm. She just has to. I hope we get more Lindsay. Because she kind of does play a nice straight man in the show. Even though her politics and her worldview is absurd, her actual behavior is fairly... Like, you understand it, certainly. Yeah, it's more justifiable than, like, some of the other Bluths. Yes. Um, so I hope we get more Lindsay. I hope we get more Buster, too. I just feel like I did not get enough Tony Hale in my life this first half. That's, you're not wrong. Yeah. But the only way to find out is, of course, when Netflix drops the second half of this season. And you guys know we'll be covering it here at AfterBuzz TV. So we ask that you would tune in for our coverage when we cover that as well. I would also ask that you guys let us know what you thought of this season. For those of you, um, you know, ride or dies who listened to all four of these episodes, all four of our coverage. Let us know what you think about everything we said. Do you identify with what we found funny? Did you find the characters that we found funny, funny as well? What would you like to see in season four? Did you like, or the second half of season five, excuse me. Did you like Troy Miller's direction as much as we did? These are all talking points that we'd love to engage with, either in the comments below for those of you watching on YouTube or on Twitter. And if you want to reach me on Twitter, you can do that at Jeffrey C. Graham. Phil, how about you? 
I'm at Phil Svitek. Thank you guys as always. It's It's been a fun half of season so far. It's been fun. We'll be back here for the second part of season five, so make sure you tune in. Until then, we're covering everything else. So we'll see you soon, guys. Bye. From executive producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other after shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. Buzz you later. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.